Welcome to Victory GP. We're excited you've joined us, and we hope you're impacted and inspired by today's message. Building the family altar, and we are so excited about this. Thank you, Baldwin family, for refashioning probably Pipestone Creek. Um, <laughs> there's... Um, there's such a weight of God's presence as we start talking about this, this particular theme and this particular topic. And every, you know, we just always just talk Bible. That's really what it comes down to. The word of God stands firm forever. But sometimes God gives us some direction to go that just gives us a way to focus what it is we're going to lean into and what, what pieces to pick out. And um, this was the, the theme that God gave us back in June. So it's been a long time coming and um, the concept of building the family altar has so much to it and it's going to take week after week after week after week to unpack this and unfold it but it was why we needed to as well change uh, the stage a little bit just to visual aids help and um, I, my initial thought was that the intention is that these um, these, what, what do we call, I don't know what we call them but they're like pillars so they're supposed to be um, abstract stones these are like abstract stones that are pieced together. So my initial thought was there would be a sermon for every stone, but since that will take us until I'm really old, probably will not do that many, but there's every, every stone is going to count for something. There's going to be a piece that we're focusing on, a piece, an element of who God is, an element of our faith that we can hang on to. And um, we all know, Pastor Brad, that was awesome about the the sinking. We know that the things around us right now are shifting and they're shaking and they're moving. And, and it's just like nothing is the same from morning until evening, let alone from day to day or week till week. Everything's moving. Everybody's got an opinion. Everybody's got an agenda. Everybody's got a plan. And there's such stability in knowing that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God never changes. He always was. He always will be. Heaven and earth will pass away, but his word will never pass away. And so for us, this is this moment in time where we need to stop in the midst of all the spinning, all the things that are going on around us. We need to stop and know where are we built? Where are we founded? What do we believe? We need to be able to defend our faith. We need to be able to live in our faith. Uh, was um, reading an article that was talking about, you know, there's a lot of people, different different uh, policies, different things that are going on right now that are, are really feeling to make a stand as conscientious objectors. And they, you know, the, the comment in it was absolutely do that, but don't think that it's not going to cost something. Because all through history, believers have had to decide there are certain lines we won't cross. There are certain things that we won't do. There are certain places that we just won't go. There are certain things we won't speak. There are certain things that we won't participate in because we know whom we have believed and we're persuaded that he's able to keep us. He's able to walk us through. And so my belief that is as we go through this year, as we go through um, the depth of content, you know, some of it's going to seem really basic but the concept is is that as we go back and we dig out some of the foundation pieces some of the core uh, elements of our faith that you can not only know it but you can share it 
You can lead somebody to Christ. You can pray with somebody when they're hurting, when they're broken. You can pray for healing. You can pray for provision. You can minister help and courage and support from heaven directly to them. It's not about how many people can we get into the building. It's about how many people can we get out. So God's going to equip us this year, and we're going to dig in. Some of our weeks, we're going to do some of the, the things that are going to be talked about in the foundations courses. We'll preach them here on a Sunday morning so that all of us are reminded what it is, what are our foundation pieces? Why do we believe what we believe? Why do we know what we know? And so today, as we begin building the family altar, let's just start in prayer and ask God to reveal to us a next level understanding of what it is he's saying to us. God, we thank you today for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you are a builder. We thank you, Lord, that you are the foundation on which our lives are built. We thank you, Lord, that even you said that, that um, you will build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You said that if we, we build without you, we build in vain. God, you are the master builder. And so as we engage this new season, as we engage this new year and everything else is flailing around, everything else is shaking and shifting and changing, God, we thank you for the firm foundation that we can be built on with you. And Lord, I thank you for those, those key pieces in our lives. I thank you for establishing them in such a way that we will never be the same, that we will be established, that we will be firm, that we will be steadfast, God, that we will be rooted and grounded in you. And Lord, we thank you for next level revelation all throughout this year that week by week, day by day in our personal private time, God with you, that we are, we are built up in you. We're trained, we're equipped, and we're sent out. And we thank you for that today, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, just to give you a little bit of a, a package, I, I, uh, I think it's, I personally am a, like an artsy person, so I'm kind of in love with the stage right now because I feel like it's as traditional as our non-traditional church is probably ever gonna get. So a lot of people are like, these look like stained glass, this is awesome. We have the piano that sounds remarkably like a keyboard, it's pretty cool. Um, if you saw the other side of it, you would know why, but isn't it cool? It's, <laughs> it's so awesome, but, uh, there is something to be said for tradition. There's something to be said for roots. And then there's something to be said for the new things because God is always, I do a new thing, right? So the, the thing is that God stays the same and his methods and his ways of doing things change. And so we want to see a coming together of those two things. And one of the phrases as we, as we went into this um, concept of like, I, you know, I literally spent months praying, God, there's got to be a catchier title than building the family altar because it's just not cool. Um, but it's awesome and it's stable. And so, you know, you kind of want a trendy topic. You want like a whatever as far as a catchy. But building the family altar has this stability to it. And what's interesting is that if you grew up in church circles, you're familiar with the phrase. Other people, not so much. So it's like, what does that even mean? Uh, family altar is along the same lines as when you hear churches and you hear people talk about, we have our quiet time. 
And so in a lot of like more evangelical kind of churches, traditional churches as well, the family altar is talking specifically about a family prayer time or a time when you gather and you're instructed within your household about the things of God. Your quiet time means your devotion time, your personal time with the Lord. And so we've got these um, roots, we've got these phrases that are built into church culture in the past, but God's breathing new life into them. And so in this new season, we're not going back back, but we're drawing from what were the foundations of the past and we're applying them currently. What I want to be really clear about is when I, I was like Googling pictures for family altar and I found out that also people use that phrase for like shrines of their dead relatives. So that's not it. That we're not doing any kind of family worship of the past. We're not lighting candles for anything. This is, we're not talking about that. We're talking about building a center of worship in your personal life and your personal marriage and your personal family, a deliberateness that God is central to our lives, that if people met us, they would know one of the first things they would find out is that we love God. We belong to him. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So that's what we're talking about here. It's this specific thing. It is a creating a deliberate space for God time-wise, um, maybe even locationally. You know, certain people, my, my family growing up, it was the breakfast table. That was our family altar. We, we had devotions every single morning. I'm going to be late to school, mom. I don't really care. Uh, we're doing the devotions. That's how that went. So we're, we had family altar built right in. So it can be locationally, but it's really about creating an atmosphere for God to move in your life. Creating an atmosphere that he can dwell in. Creating an atmosphere of welcome for the Lord. It's not an add-on Sunday morning we show up at church because we're, we're kind of religious. It's no, God is central to how we do life. We don't function without him. He's the core thing. It's that shift. Um, it's a mindset. It's a memorial. It's an activity. It's a belief system. And it's a focus. It's this place where when we look through history, and Bible history is the best place to go, because Old Testament, we see it in a practical form. We see people literally build altars. New Testament, we see it when the believers went house to house to house and shared what God was saying to them, and they studied together, they prayed together, they worshiped together, they, they did it in a, in a uh, tangible form without the stones. It was a, a heart reaction. Matthew Henry, uh, most of you know Matthew Henry commentary guy, massive uh, man of God who just like broke out the Bible. But his quote is, wherever a man has a tent, God should have an altar. Isn't that good? Wherever man has a tent, God should have an altar. Wherever you are, there he is. There we make space for him. There we make room for him. The first person in the Bible who is documented as having built an altar to the Lord was, any guesses? Noah. <laughs> Noah is the documented one. It's so interesting. Yes, Cain and Abel also sacrificed. We just don't see what their altars look like. Noah actually, after they got out of the ark, the first thing, can you imagine? You've been in here for weeks upon weeks upon weeks upon weeks with your wife. Some didn't make it very far through two or three weeks of quarantine, let me just tell you. So weeks upon weeks upon weeks upon weeks with your spouse, with your children, with your in-laws, and with every animal on the planet. The smell, the stuff, the, the I, I, you know, 
we just went through days and days and days and days of rain and we've never even seen rain before. The first thing that they do when they get off the ark is build an altar. And Noah begins to create this, this place of celebration. This is what God has done and this is my commitment to him. And so when we're talking about family altar, when we're talking about... Um, you know, building something, it is that. It's taking the place where God meets us and we mark it and it becomes established in our lives. This is a place that we can go back to and we go, no, I met God in that place and this is part of my new reality. So what if, what if you live alone? What if you're like, right now you're like, family altar, this is gonna have no value to me this year. This is a family. You, 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 the word tells us that God puts the solitary in families. There's your family community. There is your household. There is the church family. There is this house. There is the broader family of God across the earth. There is, there is different ways of looking at it. Wherever you can apply it, you're going to apply it. But God is calling us into this thing. Noah built the altar. Abraham built an altar. In fact, Abraham built an altar every time God spoke to him. God would speak, Abraham would have an encounter, he'd build an altar. His son Isaac, God revealed himself to Isaac, said that he was going to be carrying on the blessing. Isaac built an altar. Jacob was on the run. Jacob didn't have a, a connection with God really personally at all until God met him. And Jacob built an altar. And so we see these things over and over again. Moses built an altar. Joshua built altars. David built altars. Solomon built altars. It went on and on and on. It became a family legacy that when God does something, we mark it. We celebrate it. We honor who God is in our lives. We don't just let it pass by like it's nothing. We do something about it. We apply it. And so we're going to dig into that and, and experience what that should look like in our lives. Do the people around Around you know how much God means to you. Do your children know how much God means to you? Can you defend how much God means to you? Does he have the priority in your life? Let me just say, I believe we are moving into a season, and I don't mean to be a downer here, but prophets across the globe have come to the same understanding from the Lord. It is not going to get better. We're moving into a time where I believe there's a, the middle ground is being removed and there will be an increase of the, the works of darkness and there's also gonna be an increase of the move of the spirit. And we're gonna have to pick a team. We're gonna have to decide where we land in that and there will come a time for every single one of us where we have to stand and say, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. There's going to come a time. And so if we don't prepare for that, if that's not part of our nature in the moment of what would you do, you won't know what to do. So God's leading us into this. So let's begin with the scripture uh, from Joshua 4. We finished last uh, spring. You remember we talked about the, the crossing over and when Joshua went and he, he sent the leaders through the camp, they were about to cross over the Jordan. And he said, tell everybody that in three days we're crossing over. In three days we're crossing over, you need to pack up your stuff. You need to decide what goes with you and what needs to stay behind. You need to get ready to cross over. You need to prepare yourself to cross over. And uh, prophetically, the word was released here that we're taking June, July, August to prepare to cross over. Now today I'm saying, get your shoes on. Let's go. We're crossing over. We're moving to a new spot here. So Joshua 4. Starting at verse 20, the whole passage is just remarkable, but I'll spare you the long one. Picking up at verse 20, we know the story. 
that Joshua told them that when the water pulls back and when you cross over on dry land, I want one person from every tribe to pick up a stone and you're gonna take it, a stone from the middle of the river. As you walk across on dry land, as God is doing something for you, as God is providing for you, as God has got you across and into a new season, and yeah, there's gonna be a lot of stuff that you can look at. Can you imagine you're moving into unknown territory? You're moving into a place you've never seen before. You're, look, you're moving into what has been promised for hundreds of years. You're moving into this prophetic window of time that God has spoken. But before you get too jacked up about where you're headed, Pick up a stone from where he's moving in your life right now because you're going to need it on the other side. This is worth noting. Pick it up because you're going to need it on the other. There's, there's something that we have to do on the other side. So starting at verse 20, and those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. Then he spoke to the children of Israel saying, when your children ask their fathers in time to come, what are these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land, for the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us when we crossed over, that all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, and that you may fear the Lord your God forever." It's so interesting because it, we'll, we'll get into it in the weeks to come, but it says that they began to cross over and, and Joshua set them up. He tells them to take them to the place where we lodge tonight, the place where we stop, and, uh, and I'll do something with them when I get there. And when he gets there, he begins to put them into this pillar and then they end up also building an altar there. But the place is called Gilgal. And Gilgal actually has a, a few different locations because it, it basically is a bit of a temporary camp, but it becomes the place from which they conquered the promised land. It becomes home base. It becomes the starting point. And the word itself, Gilgal, means to roll. And it's, it's like the idea of a wheel, but it's to roll. And it's because God says, in this place, from this time forward, I have rolled away your past of Egypt from behind you. It's gone. I've rolled it away. So they, they begin to put an altar. They begin to put these stones together in the place that God brought them to. And God says, what's behind you is done. And now from this place, you're going forward. From this place, you're going to start moving out. I believe prophetically, we have moved into a season. If you are still hanging on to the past, I just got to tell you, let it go. It doesn't matter what has been lost. It doesn't matter what you think you've left behind. It doesn't matter what you think is, is, is um, being required of you from back there. It doesn't matter. If we go back and go, well, 10 years ago, I had this. 20 years ago, I had this. Five, two years ago, I had this. Let it go. We have moved into a new season and the things of God that are in front of us are greater than any of us has ever seen before. But as long as we're hanging on to the past, we will miss it. So God is saying you need to pick up these stones as you cross over and you go, oh Lord, 
You, are, you have provided for me a miraculous crossover. I don't know how I got here and I don't know what's ahead, but I am taking this stone and this is an established point. From here, I will not go back. I will not look back. Some of you have lost homes. Some have lost businesses. Some have lost relationships. I am telling, I'm not saying like, just don't care about people. I'm saying sometimes we need to release and say, God, I'm releasing it into your care. I'm moving forward. I am moving forward. Why? Because God is always faithful. And the end of a thing is always greater than its beginning. The latter rain is greater than the former rain. So stop looking backwards. Move forward. We have to move forward. I'm going to tell you some of the stuff in the next couple weeks of where our country has been, where, where Christianity has been. And let me tell you, we are not where we were, but we wouldn't have lost it if it was stable. And so where we are headed, I believe, is a level of maturity that can sustain a move of God. It, it can sustain his presence. It can sustain what he wants to do. And it's not going to be fickle. It's not going to be man-driven. It's not going to be, I mean, honestly, it's not going to be smoke and lights and mirrors. It's got to be a move of God. I am so over trying to act like there's a, a thing happening that God's doing something. We need to actually, you know, broadcast the miracles that he is doing doing, the provision that we're walking in, the love that we're experiencing, the forgiveness, the freedom, and every one of you has a story. That's what we're celebrating. It's not about what was, it's about what is and who God is. So God's calling us into this place and he says, when, when your children ask you, because they're gonna. See, this is the thing. It's one thing for us to believe. It's another thing for us to be able to tell. It's one thing for us to, to believe. It's another thing for us to enforce and to, 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 to actually create a space that others can join. And so he says, when they ask you, what are these stones? Then you shall, one, let your children know. Let your children know. Your kids should not just think that, yeah, mom and dad are religious. They know why. They know why you care about God. They know why you pray. They know why you're in the word. They know why you tithe. They know why God is a priority. They know what is the story behind it. Maybe we, we need to just like let them in on where we've, where we've uh, moved forward. Maybe they don't understand. But he says, you're going to tell them that you crossed over on dry land. You're going to tell them. So let your children know. And then he says that all the peoples of the earth will know. So let the world around you know. Know what you know, believe what you believe so that you can let your children know and so that you can let the world around you know. The time for hidden Christianity is over. The time for being polite and not wanting to push our beliefs on anybody is over. And I'm not saying we shove Christianity down anybody's throat, but my walk with Jesus is my lifeline. I won't back down. I'm not going to turn away. I'm not going to worry about offending somebody for the sake of denying Christ. Not a chance. This is the time God's calling us into so that our children know and so that the world knows. And the interesting thing is then because of this layout that Joshua gives us, we know that the family altar is designed to firstly change me, then my family, and then to impact society. Out there, it's more messed up than you think it is. 
It's more messed up than I think it is. I, I can spend half an hour just skimming the headlines and I'm like, oh dear Jesus, come now. It's so bad. It's, so, it's worse than what the headlines are. I'm sure it's worse than what the headlines are. So if that's what's going on out there, then if we're gonna see that be impacted, it's gotta be by a people who know their God and do great exploits. There's, there's no middle ground on this one. So God's calling us into this. We have to ask ourselves, does God have an altar in my home? Does he have a central position in my home? I read a, a paper that said, you know, all, all homes have altars. It's just a matter of to which God. What gets our time? What gets our investment? What gets our finances? What gets our focus? We all have an altar. So where does it go? There's this interesting... Um, story that I came across. Reverend Oliver Haywood, I don't know if anybody has heard of him. He's uh, a Puritan pastor that was exiled for a while in the 1600s. 1600s, um, believer in Jesus, lover of Jesus, who wrote this series of um, articles and papers and teachings, put them together in this book that you can, uh, you can find online called The Family Altar. 1600s. Puritan, here's an excerpt. He says, family worship will make up in defect, or make up a defect or want of public ordinances, or make up for a defect in or want of public ordinances. Providence may cast your lot in places where the streams of sanctuary run low or muddy. In this case, house wells may do you much service. When public persecution breaks up church assemblies, house worship will maintain religion in the world, and the private fire will then break out into open flame. What had become of religion, what would have become of religion had it not often been lodged in private houses? This has been God's usual reserve to maintain the power of godliness. Church history tells us that the open profession of the gospel hath been at a low ebb, and this hath helped it to a glorious resurrection. Ministers were banished, assemblies scattered, churches demolished, and scarce any appearance of public meetings. Yet then, the fire glowed in private hearths, and in God's due time, a door was opened for public assemblies. How much we are indebted to God for house altars, and may such a day overtake us again. Isn't that good? 1600s. For those of us who think the world is worse off than it's ever been, not so. He goes on to say, in vain do you complain of magistrates and ministers while you that are householders are unfaithful to your trust. You complain that the world is in a bad state. What do you do to mend it? Do not so much complain of others as of yourself and complain not so much to man as to God and plead to him for reformation. Second also your prayers with earnest endeavors. Sweep before your own doors. Act for God within your sphere. Isn't that good? We could have wrote that this year. We could have wrote that this month. This is the stuff. He's saying, honestly, stop beaking off to everybody else about what's wrong in the world, what's got to be made right in your life. 
What's got to be corrected in your household? What's got to be corrected in your marriage? What's got to be corrected in your sphere? Are you proclaiming Jesus to your sphere? Are you living in the light in your sphere? He's literally telling us from hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago that there was a time when the world was so broken that people sat around and did nothing but complain. And he's saying, God puts it on you to fix it. Not to change all that's out there, but to change what's up close and personal. Am I on fire? It's very interesting because when we look at the situations of the world around us, and it can be overwhelming, the idea that it might actually change because the body of Christ comes on fire is mind-blowing and yet biblical. It's a history when God's people are doing what God's people should do. When God's people are living in the light as he is in the light, we begin to see transformations happen all around us. There's stories in cities all around the world. Even right now, we've got stuff going on, obviously, in Afghanistan. We've got stuff going on in Pakistan. We've got stuff going on in China where the church is being silenced in brutal ways, and yet it's not. There's something massive happening underneath. If we really believe that God is who he says he is, if we really believe that we have a hope before us, if we really believe that heaven is where we're headed, then honestly, these current things, these temporary situations are not worth focusing on. It is worth setting our mind on things above. It is worth leaning into the love of Christ. It's worth choosing to walk in the light. It's worth, instead of wondering what everybody else thinks, I am so over taking public polls on whatever. Who gives a rip? They're all manufactured to serve the purpose of whoever's polling in the first place anyway. It's irrelevant. I need to know that God knows where I stand and that those in my sphere know where I stand with God. And I believe that everything is subject to change by a move of God. And so that's the priority. I, it really doesn't matter what's going on in the, in the earthly realms. The prince of the power of the air is flooding the atmosphere with garbage, but we need to flood it with what is truth, what is right, what is just, what is pure, what is lovely, what is of a good report. These are the things that we think on. This is what we set our minds upon. We can be different. We can be different. We can be literally people of the way. It's interesting, Genesis 121 says, then God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. He builds Adam and Eve. He says, be fruitful and multiply. In other words, have a family. There's gonna be a family unit. And so there's this initial thing. And then he says, fill the earth and subdue it. So he takes this, God blesses them. There's the personal relationship. He blesses their marriage and their family. And then he says, fill the earth and subdue it or bring it into order. So in other words, the program that God lays out there is, as your relationship was right with me, and as your relationship is right with one another before me, and as you go into the earth and you carry that out there, it is going to be blessed. It is going to be multiplied. It is going to come into my kind of order. So there is a natural flow of when God's people act like God's people, the world begins to change. There's this uh, story. I don't know if anybody has heard the story of uh, Father Patrick Payton. Anybody know who that is? Okay, for your viewing pleasure this afternoon, you could look up the movie Pray that is out. Um, this is Father Patrick Payton. And he's this, uh, I don't know, we're so Canadian sometimes, we don't know 
bigger picture things at always, but um, he's an Irish priest from Albany, New York, who was born 1909, was raised in a Catholic family um, in Ireland, nine kids, I believe, and they were just poor, poor, poor. But he said he remembers clearly that the one thing that his dad valued even more than hard physical work was the family altar. And every single day, it was non-negotiable. We will gather to pray. We will gather to pray. And so he was raised up through the war times, uh, particularly during World War II. He had uh, moved over to uh, the U.S. and uh, became a priest and had this passion from the Lord on his heart that the, the world is broken and the thing that's going to change it is prayer. The thing that's going to change it is families coming together. And if the families are right before God, it's going to change society. So he began to promote this thing called uh, family prayer. That, that, that He called it the family rosary for Catholics. But he just said, anybody, you know, if you know God, gather your family and begin to pray. And he, he would tell it everywhere he went. He would just proclaim this. We need to gather and we need to pray. And the families, and he began to say this. The families that pray together stay together. How many of you heard that phrase? So people began to come behind him and start funding this. And that phrase, the family that prays together stays together. And they bought billboards and they bought uh, newspaper ads and they bought signs all over city, city uh, walls and whatnot to advertise the family that prays together stays together. And he just kept preaching. If you pray together and your family is healthy before God, it will change our nation. So this began to spread and began to spread. And, and he just had this passion. He's like this poor kid. He had a grade six education from Ireland. He comes to the U.S. and he has no understanding of how anything works. But he says, you know, I've been hearing these radio shows, um, you know, like the radio stories that everybody gathers around. How do I get on that? Because people need to know if they're going to gather around for the news, they could gather to pray. And so um, they're like, well, you'd have to go to Hollywood like they're producing these shows there. So he gets a bus ticket and he goes out to Hollywood and just starts trying to meet with people to ask, would you give me airtime? Because the world needs to know that the family that prays together stays together. And so interestingly enough, he actually gets an audience with somebody who buys into the vision and, and hears it. And uh, they're like, well, you'd have to, in order to do that, you'd have to have like a big star launch this thing and whatever. And so he's like, well, who's the biggest star? And they were like, at the time, Bing Crosby. He's like, get me him. Sure enough, Bing Crosby agrees to go on this radio show with him. And they go out nationally and begin to say, it's National Family Prayer Time. And so gather your families around the radio. We're going to pray. And it began week after week as TV opened up. He's like, well, I've heard about these, these TV shows and whatever, and there's a television in homes now. How do I get onto that? Well, you're going to need this group of people, and you're gonna, you'd have to, I mean, there's, you got to have trained actors and whatever. Well, he ended up with Jimmy Stewart. He ended up with Frank Sinatra, Maureen O'Hara, um, you know, Lucille Ball. Like all of the ones of the time got on his show and you can see the clips of them going, you know, gather your family around. It's time for family prayer. Nations were changed because of that. 
there started to be uh, a craving within Latin America for God to do something. There was a move that was happening, but there was so much pushback with communism and, and just civil unrest, extreme leftist mindsets and whatever. And so he said, well, I, I need to go. What's going to help this nation is if they begin to pray. They need to pray. The family that prays together stays together. This nation will be helped. So guess who funded him to go there? The CIA. I know, right? Because it actually quieted down the upset and the unrest in certain nations. He was on the ground uh, in Manila in the Philippines when um, Imelda Marcos and her husband were in the, the big hoo-ha that was going on there. And they were threatened that you can't have prayer gatherings. You need to, the military will be against you. You can't gather. You can't, you can't do anything. And um, he said, no. No, we have to pray. Our only answer is God. And so we, we have to pray. And so they gathered people, hundreds and hundreds and thousands of Filipino people began to just pray in the streets. And when the soldiers came out against them, they served them sandwiches and drinks and asked if they could pray for them. And within days, the whole situation turned um, and, and their upset was absolutely quieted. To this day, governments are still trying to study what exactly happened, how it turned so quickly, and they believe it's absolutely prayer. Something happened that a people decided that they wouldn't be bullied, that they didn't care about the guns or the soldiers or the camouflage, but God is our only answer. God is our only hope. I'm telling you this mamby-pamby, hide-it-in-your-back-pocket Christianity Canadian has to go. It is time for the church to arise. I believe we can be these kind of people. And, and I don't know if we can show the picture. There's a picture of um, Father Peyton preaching. This is San Francisco. Largest gathering they ever had of half a million people. They gathered in that field to pray. To pray. I'm telling you, when we see the world around us and we go, okay, I got to sign another petition. I got I to gotta do another poll. I've got to whatever. Yes, do those things. But if God is not central to our responses, we're hooped. If, if he's not the core of how I do my life, if his yes and his no is not the motivating factor, I don't have anything to operate off of. So we can see in history that this thing, it works. It has chosen. It has proven that it works. It's interesting, Deuteronomy 11 is when Moses is leading, uh, they've come into a place of freedom and he's given the instructions of God. And it says, Deuteronomy 11, verse 18, therefore you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. And you shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates that your days and the days of your children may be, may be multiplied in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them like the days of the heavens above the earth. I want you to just track this through for me. This is an instruction. He's saying basically the things of God, the words of God, the instructions of God. We know Old Testament, it was quite rule-based. It was, it was legalistic. Now we're in relationship. God says, I'll write it on your heart. What's the right thing to do? And we know that it lines up everything that God, when we actually ask him, what do I do about this? When he answers, it lines up with his written word. There, the, he, he never contradicts himself. But it says that it's not just this, this is, Sunday mornings we do this. 
Midweek, we do this. We have, oh no, we're, we're faithful believers because we attend church. We're faithful believers because we do this. We volunteer here, that we, we give there. It's an all in kind of thing. He says that, he says, uh, lay up these words for mine in your heart and in your soul. In other words, think about it and meditate on it. What are you thinking about? What are you meditating on? I guarantee you, if you think about or meditate on politics for five minutes right now, you're going to want to feel like throwing up. It's not worth it. It's just not worth it. Like in our house, we have just decided there's some stuff that we just, we just can't even afford to have in our house anymore because we can feel the swirl come in. We can feel the upset. We can feel the, I mean, I, somebody just, you know, has to post something on Facebook that I disagree with and I'm ready to go rumble in the alley with them. Like, come on, that's a stupid thing to say. I don't need that in my life right now. <laughs> you know, I need to meditate on him. I need to think on him. It says then, bind them as a sign to your hand. In other words, what you do, what you do with your hands, how you work, it's got to be about God. The work that you fulfill in your lifetime, it's about God. He says, uh, put it as frontlets between your eyes. The center of what you look at, what do you focus your eyes on? The things of God. I I'm saying like literally, this is God is calling for a people who are absolutely different. What do you read? What do you look at? What do you, what do you watch? What are you engaging? Put him in front of your eyes. It says, and teach them to your children. So teach it, speaking to them when, they, when you sit in your house. Teach it, talk about it. The things of God, your kids should not wonder what does dad think about this? What does mom think about this? They know. They know because you talk to them about what does God say? What does God's word say about this? We, we're so worried about when we send our kids to school, the, the information that they're getting, some of the twisted, overly um, immoral ideas that are out there, which is absolutely concerning. But they should be having at least the same amount coming from you, if not more. They should know exactly what you think about sexuality, about health, about race, about religion, about science. They should know your, your view, God's view on the creation of the earth, the future, the end times. They should know. And for those who are intimidated by that, that's today's a starting point. There's a, there's a couple that speak in this uh, movie with uh, Father Peyton, and they talk about how, uh, you know, they had four kids, I think, and their marriage was on the rocks. And he was just like annoyed because he'd come home from work and she wanted him to actually help with the kids and he wanted to have a life. And so they were having, you know, women are like right now, seriously. You, these little things, he didn't realize that when he became a father, he became a father that he had a role to fulfill. And so um, they had gone for counsel to, to their minister or whatever, and he said, you know, I would highly recommend you start a family altar in your house, and I would highly recommend that you just begin praying together every day. And he said the first day, so again, they were Catholics, so they had a rosary, they had a guideline that they were following, but he said the first day that we sat together to pray, he said it was so awkward. It was so strange, and yet it was so intimate and so beautiful. And we've never missed a day since. It saved our marriage. It saved our home. And they now have nine kids. So evidently that worked. Um, <laughs> some of us are, are halted by it feels awkward to do this. Start somewhere. 
doesn't have to be, let's sit down and have deep three-hour intercession together as a family, and we're not going to stop until we prophesy. Like, do a do do devotion together, right? Like, start, start talking about the things of God, the basic stuff of God. Teach it. Talk about it. Then he says, when you walk in the way, so when you're out in the marketplace, this is God is coming out of you when you're in the marketplace, when you're doing your regular life stuff. He says, when you uh, lay down and when you rise up in the evening, in the morning, he says, write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Everywhere around you should be the presence of God, the nature of God, the instructions of God. It just isn't going to work anymore. See, we're talking about people who inherited a new land. We're talking about people who stepped into a new freedom. We're talking about people who encountered a different kind of reality. What we're believing for prophetically, what's in us, what's on us, what's the expectation, God is calling us to that, but it's gonna take this level of commitment. It's not that we're, we're earning God's, his love is unconditional. His care for salvation is unconditional. It's not moving. It's not changing. But, but the experience that we have with him, it's going to take this kind of commitment. For those who are a little bit more on the prophetic side of things, just to toss in a little uh, other side to think about it, um, we've obviously just entered into the Jewish New Year. We've crossed over this week into a new season. And so it is, um, for those who are keeping track, it's the prophetic Hebraic year 5782. Um, so that's the year that we, we look at, and we look at the last two numbers for the prophetic significance of them. So it's 80 and 2, and we look at it not as 8 and 2, but 80 and 2. And so if we were looking at Hebrew uh, words, we would look at there's a sound for it, there's a, there's a number for it, and there's a prophetic picture that goes with it. So we, we moved into, in 2020, we moved into the first 80, right? So then 81 and 82. So in 80, 2020, uh, in our calendar, we moved into this word, and the, the, the sound that goes with it is the sound pay, P-E-Y, for those who are writing it. You say it pay, like paycheck, pay, and it means mouth, or to speak, the decade of the mouth. So interestingly enough, we crossed over into the prophetic decade of the mouth and a prophetic edge on speaking and what we declare, and we all got a mask. And while faces were silenced, the voices in the airwaves got louder and louder and louder. So there is a prophetic significance on what is being spoken, what is being declared, what is being released. The, the word that we've moved into just this uh, week is the number two or the word bet, B-E-T. And it, words, it means house, specifically the house of God. So we have prophetically this year moved into a season where there is an ignition on or an amplification of what is spoken in the house of God, what is spoken from the house of God, what is declared from the house of God. We are the house of God. Do you not know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? In other words, what I say right now has an amplification on it, and I need to be careful of what I say, what I say to my children, what I say to my spouse, what I say to my coworkers, what I say to my neighbors, what I say to to those in my sphere of influence, I am prophetically releasing the words of God or I am speaking death. 
I am choosing. And so we build the family altar because in this season, prophetically, God is giving it. There's this release, a prophetic anointing to speak life. Speak life. Speak life. This is what we're called to in this hour. This is the time. So if you were to just walk around your house, your windows are open on the average evening, and somebody walked around your house and heard what was going on, what would they hear spoken in that place? You're on your phone with your bestie. What do they hear spoken? You're ranting with your spouse. What do they hear spoken? You watch the latest news headlines. What do they hear spoken? It is time for us to build the family altar and to declare that we are fashioned on him. We are built on him. He is the cornerstone that our lives are founded upon. We are not moved by every wind and every wave. We are not, we are not changing every time something happens. We don't speak based on how we feel. We speak based on the rock, the solid foundation that we are built upon, and we speak life. We speak life. What's very interesting to me specifically in uh, Joshua 4 verse 6, because it gets said twice. It says, when your children ask you in times to come saying, what do these stones mean to you? It doesn't just say, what do these stones mean? Like, what does the Bible mean? What does Jesus mean? What does the death and resurrection mean? What does the Ten Commandments mean? What does salvation mean? What does the baptism of the Holy Spirit mean? It's not just what does it mean. The question is, what does it mean to you? What does it mean to you? God's inviting us into this place where we literally lay hold of what we believe. We own it. We live it. We declare it. We repeat it. It becomes our reality. What do these stones mean to you is not just generic it is specific, so am I prepared to answer the questions? And most of us, I think, in some form or another, would have to say, I'm not, I'm not positive on that one. I'm not sure. I don't have an opinion on that one. But they're not going to ask you about other people's stones. They're going to ask about yours. The things that you say are important. The things that you say are about. Dad, why do we have to go to church every Sunday? Why? Why are we having to do devotions? This is just lame. Why do we even have to do that? Why, why does it matter what I wear or what, what I call myself or what, what title I give myself? What, why does it even matter? Why does that bother you? Why are you telling me that I need to tithe off of my allowance? Or my first paycheck? It's my first paycheck, Dad. Why? Like, God gets it, I'm sure. Why are you being so mean? Mom, how come? Weed is legal. It's legal. Why does it bother you so much? Abortion's legal. Why does it bother me so much? Euthanasia is legal. Why does it bother me so much? Can I give an answer? Can I give an answer, not for the rules, but for the belief, the stuff, what's the stuff that I would be willing to stand the line on? And can I express that? Am I sharing that? If my kids come and ask me, what does it mean to you? Can I say it? This is not about like uh, 
critiquing or criticizing us. It's empowering us. I believe God is igniting hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of ministers to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every nation. It's the core things. Matthew 21, 42, Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures, the stone which the builder rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and it's marvelous in our eyes. He's the chief cornerstone. Matthew 7, 24 and 25 says, therefore, whoever hears these words of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat the house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. I know what the foundation of my life is. I know what the core reality is. I know what my true belief system is about. I know who God is. And it has become the thing that holds me in the storms. See, the end of that scripture in Deuteronomy, when it talks about writing the words of God, the instructions of God, it says that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them like the days of the heavens above the earth. God says, if you do it my way, I promise you success. I promise you, you will not. The winds might come, the storms might blow, the floods might rise, but you are built on me. This is the thing he called us to. Psalm 18, 2. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. This is spoken by King David after God delivered him from Saul. See, his stone was fashioned because God showed himself strong. It became this thing. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I believe in this season God is calling us to the deeper things. I'm giving you this heads up because straight up if you're coming to Bible studies on Tuesday night, our life night study, um, it is going to probably poke you in all kinds of uncomfortable places that, that we need to be poked. It prods us. It will help us to grow. It will help us to develop. It will help us to, to um, experience God in new ways. In the places where we'd rather kind of just shy away from him, it will call us into those places and allow God to heal some of those things. It's going to be fantastic. My uh, goal or our goal here as a church is not to keep you at the church every night of the week. I don't even think that's biblical at all. The, the goal is Sunday plus one. Sunday plus one. Sundays we come and we learn together and we experience one another and we enjoy one another. We enjoy the things of God. And then plus one. One place during the week where you're connecting with a smaller group. One place where you're building relationships. One place where you actually get to talk to people and you get to know their names and, and develop. And the rest of the time, we're salt and light wherever God put us. That's where we should be. And so the equipping that you're going to get on Sundays and the, the relationship that you get, the stability that you get in your plus one time during the week, that's going to enable you to go and do all the stuff that God's called you to do. But I believe he's calling us to the good things. So let's, um, let's stand together this morning. And again, I'm just going to pray over us. We're going to commit ourselves to the Lord in this. Are you ready for some deep stuff? Yes. yes? It's 
It's so good. God is so good. And the more we talk about his faithfulness, the more we understand this, the better it's going to get. We want to treat him like he really is. Can we, can we end with the party song again? Let's declare. Now you know it, right? Now, now you've heard the words. You know they're solid words. And let's celebrate his goodness one more time. One of the things that I think is interesting, Wayne and I have been talking about this, the um, Israel had built into their their community celebration like every time God did something they partied and then they would repeat it like every time this same day years to come we're going to celebrate they feasted and partied and danced and and they celebrated the goodness of God on the regular we should be good to do that this is not a heavy message God's inviting us to the place where we know him David knew him and he danced before the Lord he celebrated the goodness of God we know that Jesus's first miracle was wine at a wedding party he, was, he is all about the celebration. God is worth celebrating. He is always good. He's worth building our life upon. And so, Lord, today, we thank you that as we enter into this new season, you begin the nudging on the inside of us that any places where we've been weak or we've faltered a little bit, any places where we've, we've just maybe been a little bit lazy or distracted, maybe the places where we've allowed the gray areas to slide into our lives, the places where we've maybe not given you the attention, but we can feel it on the inside. We feel the inner nudging. We know it when you're telling us to let something go. We know it when you're asking us and inviting us to come near. We know it when you tell us and instruct us to lovingly share the truth of the kingdom, the hope that is within us. Lord, we know according to your word that we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony, that your words should be upon our lips, testimonies to your goodness, your faithfulness, your grace, your mercy. And Lord, we also know that there's bait all around us to bite into the despair, to bite into the rage, to bite into the upset and the confusion. And God, we just refuse it. Today, we determine we're, we're over it. And what is past is past. We've crossed over into a new land. And it's unknown, but we know that it's the land flowing with milk and honey. It's flowing with your goodness. It's flowing with your promises. It's flowing with who you are, your presence in our lives, God. So we're not going to look back and we're not going to get sucked into the fear. We're not going to get sucked into the atmosphere of this age, God. Lord, we choose to set our mind on things above. We choose to look to you. And Lord, in this season of speaking in the house, God, we speak the goodness of our God. We declare life and life abundantly. God, where we've spoken death, where we've bit in, we ask your forgiveness today. And Lord, we pray that it would just be rendered null and void, that every word of cursing, every word of death would fall to the ground, neutralized in Jesus' name. And from this moment forward, we determine to speak life. God, help us to even support one another in this that we choose to speak life no more dancing with the darkness no more dancing with the fear no more dancing with the prince of the power of the air but God we choose we choose our side we choose to walk with you we choose to be set apart and be holy as you are holy 
God, I pray a blessing over this house, those in person, those watching online. I pray that this would be a year, God, where the foundations in our life go, uh, go deep, God, where we begin to build on those core things, on the cornerstone of Christ Jesus. Lord, I thank you that there begins to be depth, there begins to be substance and structure, God. And Lord, I thank you that we can sustain weight, that we can begin to serve others from a place of next level strength, God. We can begin to serve others from next level relationship, God, that your word is quick on our tongue, that your love is quickly released from our arms and from our hearts, God, that we are quickly responding to the instructions of heaven. Lord, I thank you that you've called us to come apart and be separate. And so God, today in that, we choose to build the family altar and we choose to be built on the rock of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you for that today, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this message from Victory Church Grand Prairie. You can stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by using at VictoryChurchGP. If you have any questions, would like to access our online resources, or would like to sow into this ministry, you can visit us at www.VictoryGP.com. You can also text to give. Just text 587-207-4387 and follow the prompting. Thanks again for joining us at Victory GP. Reach. Teach. Mobilize.